One of the reasons why with inflation almost at 10%, with a semi-senile person in the White House, uh, why wasn't there a, a sweep of the Senate, a sweep of the House, a sweep of mayors, a sweep of governors? What, what happened? Hello and welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Uh, just me today, just Phelan McAleer today. Uh, Anne McElhinney is on well. Um, so it's the morning after and uh, I was sceptical of the red wave as, I, as I've told you in a number of the podcast and it has come to pass. Um, it panned out. Uh, what are the reasons? What are the reasons why with inflation almost at 10%, with a semi-senile person in the White House. Uh, why wasn't there a, a sweep of the Senate, a sweep of the House, a sweep of mayors, a sweep of governors? What what, what happened? Um, how did I... Why was I sceptical, I suppose, also? Well, this part of it is gut-driven and part of it is data-driven. Uh, I suppose the gut thing was the same people who, who told me that Romney was going to win, and I believed them then, they told me that Romney was going to win in 2012 and that Trump was going to get wiped out in 2016. The same people who told me that were also the same people talking about a red wave. And I was going, I've heard this before, and I've heard it in the same way, you know. It, it, it just had that feeling of the things that these idiots say, you know. You know wow, Lindsey Graham really owned the libs on that, in that segment on Hannity. Wow, we're going to wipe out... Wipe out the Democrats. I'm going like when you're when Lindsey Graham is your standard bearer. When Lindsey Graham is 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 the hero, is something you know. This is not a good place to be. Um, and Lindsey Graham predicting this red wave. What has Lindsey Graham done to ensure a red wave? It it, it was they were they were giving their uh, acceptance speeches before the victory. You know they were, they were actually they, they were instead of campaigning and. And doing doing things, they were actually composing their acceptance speech and jockeying for positions on this committee and that committee instead of realizing that people didn't care about this committee or that committee in DC uh, and wanted you to pay attention to their needs. So, what else? Candidates matter. Uh, when I first heard that Doctor Oz was running, I thought it was a joke. Uh, when I heard he was selected, uh, I had a sinking feeling in my stomach. Um, look, James Carville famously described um, Pennsylvania as Paoli, uh, that is, I think, a, a suburb of Philadelphia and Penn Hills, Paoli. You know, he, he said it's Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, with Alabama in between, right? Now, I was reading about that this morning to people saying that's terribly insulting. It's, it's not terribly insulting. I actually think it's, it's wonderful. I have spent... Uh, well, we did the fracking documentary, and since then I've spent months living in the Alabama part of um, of Pennsylvania. It was it was a great time, and there are some great people out there. And I'm talking about you people at Dimmock and all those other places. You know who you are. Uh, you're wonderful people. I had I had a ball, uh, Montrose. You know you know who you are, and uh, I had a ball there. Great time. So, look. And by the way, 
candidates don't become MAGA candidates just because Trump says they are. People are smart. These people are smart, actually. These people in the Alabama part of Pennsylvania, they're smart. They recognize a carpetbagger. They recognize an elitist pretending not to be elite, pretending not to be elitist. But by the way, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, they, they voted for Trump the billionaire because what they saw was what they got. So they, they have no problem voting for rich people. Uh, they're not envious. They're not... They, they think, well done, they got rich. But th- Dr. Oz was not a MAGA candidate. We, we knew that. He, you know, he was trying to fit his, trying to fit into that. He wasn't. He, he, was, he was a false candidate. And people recognized that and people didn't turn up for it. So, again, Herschel Walker. Now, I don't know much about Herschel Walker uh, sports achievements. I'm not from these parts. When he was doing his thing, I probably wasn't in America. So, you know, I understand he won the Heisman Trophy. But he always had this feeling of a cliched sports guy looking for another shot. He had his 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 talking points were talking points. You know? There was nothing I never got anything personal there. It just didn't it just didn't he was he wasn't the right person. He wasn't he didn't strike me as a serious candidate, you know? And he came out yeah, you know, again, I'll come on to the media malpractice. There's a lot of media malpractice with the Herschel Walker candidacy, but there was no there there, in my opinion. It's and you know, I know it's a fifty-fifty state there, and he got the votes. But you need to just go that little bit further and get those extra votes, and you need a candidate for that. And funny enough, Trump was that candidate. Uh, Herschel Walker and Doctor Oz were not. Um, oh, can I just add something here? Uh, can Republicans please, 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 please stop wasting votes chasing the Hispanic vote? They are not going to vote Republican. Cubans are, Venezuelans might, they did for DeSantis, but in general, it's a waste of money. Uh, they're going to vote Democrat. Uh, Trump didn't pander. Stop pandering to the Hispanic vote. Trump didn't pander. pander. He increased the Hispanic vote. This time around, the Republican Party spent tens of millions of dollars and boasted about their outreach and, oh, we've got all these offices and we're helping people. You know, constituency offices, I don't know, do they send the right message? You're helping people, you know, get their benefits, you know, entitlements. Is that really, you know, rather than saying we're we're here... You know we're Republicans. We want you to do better uh, and and make millions. You know you're there helping them get entitlements. Is that the message you want to send? Is that you know when you go into the when you open an office rather than going there and saying you know uh, saying we need you guys to open businesses rather than Republicans opening offices, we need Hispanics opening businesses, and we're going to encourage and help and reduce taxes to help that. Stop pandering to them. Um, Beto O'Rourke won the Hispanic regions of Texas. Let that sink in. Uh, The Republicans were sure that the border counties, uh, the border counties, the Republicans thought they were going to win them. I mean, also, Hispanics are hard to reach. And they don't vote that much. You're wasting your money. It's it's just a waste. It's a waste of valuable resources. Of course, the, the other problem is donors will give you money. To, if you say, we're going to target Hispanic voters, 
donors will just throw money at you. Uh, um, if you say it's going to Hispanic outreach, the media will love you. You'll get these reporters accompanying you into into a deeply Republican, into a deeply Hispanic town, and how you how you uh, you know talk to them and how you you understood their problems and maybe there's a shift coming and the, you'll get a positive mainstream one positive mainstream media piece uh, among the 30 that are negative and uh, you know the media will love you for that time and of course that's what so many republicans want and so many donors want but please stop it republicans need to focus on good policy strong principles good candidates try to appeal to to americans not not white voters not hispanic voters but you know actually Try and appeal to white voters. They're they're easier to reach, by the way. Uh, you know, they're more on social media. They're more. They watch more TV. You know, you know, they're easier to reach. If you treat the Hispanics of this country, uh, you know, and and by the way, if you treat the Hispanics of this country as Hispanics when they're not, they're all different varieties of Hispanics. But that's a, a different point, almost. If you treat the Hispanics like citizens of the United States, not special needs children who should be pandered to. Hispanics will appreciate that. They will vote for you in slightly larger numbers, slightly larger numbers, but probably not enough to make a difference. Another thing about Hispanics is they're not where they where where it's uh, where where Republicans need them, especially for presidential elections. So it's not worth the effort. And funny enough, if you did what Trump did, just have a good, solid, simple ideological and prince and, and and stand by your grounds hispanics will vote for you anyway so stop wasting the money there spend it on other matters and talking about other matters it, it, the media and the culture wars and the culture is important and that's another reason why the the red wave did not appear uh it's the media and culture is 100 percent controlled by democrats we every police procedural every medical drama every soap opera had an abortion story in it since roe v wade was overturned this matters it's like we're in an abortion crisis when we're not uh, the uh, the message went out to young people that the, the compassionate the fair thing to do is is vote for abortion and that's what they did last night uh and it's the same you know more media malpractice. John Fetterman, he's unfit to be a Senate candidate. And Joe Biden's unfit to be president. Uh, but the media will never report that. When an NBC reporter did report that he was unable to con- control his, a conversation and keep a conversation, the media turned on the NBC reporter. So Republicans, you know, the money that you're giving to Hispanics, set up your own media companies. Do like Elon Musk. Buy, buy, you know, all these billionaires out there. Why, why aren't you? Why didn't you buy the main newspaper and the main website in Arizona? Why didn't you buy the main newspaper, the main website in Pennsylvania? I mean, you can pick them up for tens of millions, hundreds of millions now. But they're immensely influential, especially around election time. People go to the local media. Why don't you buy the local TV stations? No, you'd rather put out people. Ads don't matter either. All that money that was in, you know, hundreds, tens of millions went to New Hampshire. Didn't matter. Funny, the one place actually where the ads mattered was in L.A., where Rick Caruso is currently, uh, the billionaire developer, is currently in a neck-and-neck battle with Karen Bass, the ultimate establishment Democrat candidate, who L.A. is a hellhole at the moment. 
um, although less of a hellhole in the run-up to the election, interestingly, because they cleaned it up a little. And Rick Caruso, you couldn't open a Facebook or an Instagram post without seeing a Rick Caruso ad or a Twitter if you lived in L.A., and he had a solid message, and there is an emergency here. And by the way, he's still on 50-50. He should be walking. Uh, but the media will not turn up for you. Uh, you know, who has $100 million to spend on a mayor election? So he had. Uh, but Republicans need to get serious about the culture. That's why we did the My Son Hunter movie. That got you know more publicity uh, than... Than many candidates running for co- Congress, uh, we were in every mainstream outlet, often several times. So please support conservative culture. Please buy My Son Hunter. Go to mysonhunter.com. You can buy the DVD. You can buy the movie. It's there. Please support it. Please support other conservatives making culture. And you know, and if any, any, I know we have some gazillionaires out there. Like think about buying media outlets think about setting up media outlets uh think about buying mainstream think about what Elon Musk did buy a mainstream outlet and stop the wokeness you know Ron DeSantis says this is where wokeness goes to die he was one of the few success stories Rick Caruso uh, another success story but he was able to buy the media basically but not the money that it took it's just not there to buy the media and it's it's a he was a fresh candidate and he didn't have Republican uh, consultant-driven ads, which turned people off at this stage. It's very interesting. There was a Prop 26 and a Prop 27 here in L.A., and you couldn't literally show on the TV, and they were about gambling, uh, Native Americans trying to promote online gambling f- so they could benefit from it. And it was they. I think they spent over $100 million e- on each of the props. Both of them, last I saw, were being defeated and that's because uh, people just thought if, if they're spending that much ads on ads on it, there must be something fishy there. I don't think people understood it, but they were that's how they were turned off by political ads. So uh, candidates matter. The media is a big problem going into 2024. Um, and, uh, you know, watch the space. We're, we're going to be following it very close. Uh I think Ron DeSantis is in a very, very strong position. I think people are going to blame Trump. Uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, that's fair, but that's you know perceptions matter. It's going to be a very, very interesting Trump DeSantis primary. Uh, Trump has this core support of 25, 30 percent. I don't think DeSantis, who may be the better candidate, I don't think DeSantis can beat that. 25 to 30 percent core support that Trump has, uh, unless every other candidate drops out and lets DeSantis have the field, they will not do that because Republicans don't care. Because a lot of those Republican candidates only care about themselves; they don't care about the good of the country. So it will. So at the moment, it it looks like a Trump uh, will be the can the Republican candidate next time around. Uh, again. Two years is a long time, so let's 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 see how that goes. So, I am now going to go over to the other part of the Anne and Film Scoop podcast, which was recorded earlier. It's with Mark Morano of Climate Depot. Mark is in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. That's Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt, for 
the UN Climate Conference, and it's just as mad as you would think. And by the way, if this is a joint, a jumpy, uh, all over the place interview, that's because the United Nations uh, is incapable of having a conference where they can supply decent internet. So these are people who are telling us they're going to change our climate, but they can't give decent internet to a few thousand people gathered in a, in a posh seaside resort. Um, so, and also, apparently, there was no hot food for the first three days. This, these are people, they're actually looking for trillions of dollars to change the world's climate, and they can't supply hot food to people at a conference or internet. So, we'll go over now to Mark Morano for the madness of the UN Climate Conference uh, in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. Don't forget to buy My Son Hunter at mysonhunter.com. Thank you. Let's go over that interview now. Um, Mark uh, is, uh, I'm in. Austin. Mark is off with the people with all the money in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, for COP 974 or whatever it is. What is it? Which COP is it now? <laughs> you know, I got I think it's COP 27, if I'm not mistaken. COP, COP 27 this year. Last year it was 26. They've already announced COP 28 or 9 in Australia in 2026. There's no, there's no plan to ever end these things because climate can never be solved. So what is a COP then? COP stands for Conference of the Parties. And frankly, the United States has none other than George H.W. Bush to thank for this nightmare event that the United States has got involved in. He went to the original Rio Earth Summit, Sustainable Development Summit, which gave us Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, the whole essentially Marxist plan to regulate every part of our lives. George Bush signed that treaty, and it also created this whole conference of the parties i.e. the UN climate process. And it went along with Kyoto in the 90s, Copenhagen, which I believe you were at, Fellum, and then Paris 2015, and everything in between. And one thing is key, Fellum, if you can look at a chart, carbon dioxide has consistently gone up in the atmosphere. So if you want to actually evaluate these climate summits by their intended goal, they've utterly and completely failed, but the real goal has succeeded giving the UN more power, giving NGOs and corporations more control, and giving all of the mandates and subsidies to all of their friends and lobbyists and, uh, and the big government with all their hands out and all these companies there. The thing that I remember most about Copenhagen was getting hit with yes, that yes. vegetable sandwich. We're talking here about an agreement that will, will, will be one of the biggest tax hikes in American history, in world history. So, oh, for God's sake. Excuse me, some, some environmentalists have just fired a vegetable right, uh, For the audacity to dress up as a polar bear. Um, and the, the huge debate, the big debate in, in there was whether it was pronounced Copenhagen or Copenhagen. <laughs> so you're in Austin, or I'm in Austin, you're in Sharm el-Sheikh. The lights went out in Texas. The energy was an issue in Texas. Try and absorb that. Is there anyone there saying, what are we doing? Uh, especially the lights and the heating is going to go, the, the, the rush to net zero, the rush to renewables, the closure of coal mines, the closure of, of nuclear power plants means that people in Europe are going to freeze to death this winter in all likelihood. Is there anyone over there saying, hey guys, maybe this rush to net zero, hey guys, maybe this closing of coal mines and nuclear plants in Europe has been a little bit hasty, uh, darling, uh, because, um, People are going to freeze to death this winter. Is there any 
sense of that, or are they just are they just pretending that it's not happened? Are they? Uh, is it a dual universe? Is it a parallel universe? As far as I can tell, only the CFAC delega delegation, Craig Rucker, myself, and uh, Peter Murphy. There is no one else here that I'm aware of. The ones who are having energy problems have their hands out, and there's a lot of talk about the UN Climate Fund. Uh, just down the way from me here, a couple booths down, there's a youth climate rally. They have a climate clock with a six-year countdown, I guess, until climate doomsday. And they also are requesting something like $33 trillion in some kind of climate fund or reparations. We have other people calling for reparations. They don't look at it as we need more energy. They look at it as an opportunity to demand more money, and they're calling it reparations. They're calling it a, a demand for climate uh, reparations. You have the African delegations all in. Nigeria is here, Zimbabwe, a whole African contingent, all essentially hoping to get a piece of this climate pie that the UN has promised, 100 billion plus a year. But the actual reality of energy, most of the delegates here, I know all the UN officials, all see it as a quote opportunity. This green, this energy crisis to double down on green energy, just like the Biden administration. In their minds, this is fantastic. And just this past week, or two weeks ago on CNBC, you had a Goldman Sachs economist talk about how we've spent $3.8 trillion to, to lower our fossil fuel use by promoting renewable, and yet we only reduce fossil fuels 1%, from like 82 to 81% in the United States. And that looks like we're bouncing back up to 82. But the Greens here aren't going to look at that and say, oh, this is a failure. They're going to say, we need to double that nearly $4 trillion. We need to triple it. We need to quintuple it. So, no, this is a, this is a, a reality-free universe. They're not looking at wood being worth more than gold in Europe and saying we need more energy. They're looking and saying, we need, this is a failure of the free market. We already have calls all over the world from Canada, Australia, Europe, and the United States, Biden administration advisors calling to nationalize our energy because the markets have failed. That's how they look at this. They don't look at this as a failure of climate policy or energy policy or centralization. They look at it as the free market failing and now governments must take over. The people who, who die are just collateral damage. There's no concern about for the people of Poland, uh, 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 people of Germany, um, even the people that I mean there's possibility there's going to be uh, Blackouts in Ireland, England, nothing, no, no talk about that at all. Talk about it. It's an opportunity. The new UK prime minister looks to be horrible. He looks to be a uh, really tied with the World Economic Forum. He's very wealthy, disconnected. He's got heavily investments and all sorts of things. I don't expect, I, I thought for a moment there under Elizabeth Truss, the, the freebiest, the shortest lived prime minister, they were talking about reversing the fracking ban. But I believe now they're sending, he might even be coming here. UK is all in on this. Uh, Germany, but, they're, but they're, what they're doing is they're burning wood and they're going back to coal in the short term in Europe, which is fine as a survival mechanism. That, of course, will be frowned upon here at the United Nations. Look, it's just complete madness, madness, madness. I believe Boris Johnson is there, the former British prime minister is there, to offer... I didn't uh, know that. Yes, I, he's arrived yeah. to offer support. And I mean... If he really wants to offer support, he should do a few shifts down a Polish coal mine or do a, join a fracking crew, you know, and, and go around Europe fracking. I mean, that's the real support people need. It is. And if, if Boris Johnson's here, he's probably looking for some kind of World Economic Forum gig or some UN gig or some corporate gig. He's here to make money. I'm sorry. There's, there's no other way around that. He's here to stay relevant. Uh, and he, of course, 
for whatever reason, doubled down on this whole climate agenda. Uh, you know, he was the one that said we need to build back feminine, whatever that meant at the G7 summit a couple years ago. If he, he is the re people like Boris Johnson are the reason Europe is in the mess that they're in. But again, the call here in the United States, in Europe, and I've detailed this, they're calling to nationalize energy because they're blaming the failure of the free market. And keep in mind, Phelan, they're collapsing our food supply by going after high-yield agriculture in places like the Netherlands. It's spreading to Canada, Australia. They're decimating farming. They're going after meat-eating. 12,000 farms in the Netherlands, just the beginning for the net zero goals. And what they're going to say is, we predicted climate-related famines due to climate change. And of course, now, without, now we're getting food shortages. In reality, the, the food shortages are going to be related to climate policy, not climate change. And so they want to double down and they're going to want more control and food supply. Sir, I mean, the European fertilizer industry has been decimated. It's basically yes. ground to a halt yes. because of the price of natural gas, which is, is, is what you need to make fertilizer. So, of course, there's going to be famine in the poorest parts of the world, but, uh, not in the richest parts of the world. The, the, the UN chief has warned, I see there a headline, we're on a highway to climate hell. We are on a highway to climate <laughs> hell. He's so correct. Uh, well, here's the thing. You know, you have the, you have the Ukraine which is here with a full delegation. It's nice that Ukraine can take out time from battling Russia to come here and set up a booth and send a whole delegation to say that climate change is like a, equally important as the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine would not miss this. I'm not kidding. I have pictures and video. Ukraine is here in full force with, I don't know if their hands out uh, or if it's a, uh, just a situation where they're just virtue signaling, but they are here at the United Nations Climate Summit Gee, maybe they're not as stressed out as we think. So you're telling me that there's a Ukrainian delegation at, at, a, at the climate conference. Like we're sending tens of billions of dollars to help them fight a war against Russia. And they're using some of that money or some money from the budget to send a large delegation to a climate jolly in the United Nations. A jolly that's going to close their, that's going to stop them fracking, stop them getting oil, stop them being energy independent as Putin is closing off their gas for the winter. Yes, apparently the, the threat of Vladimir Putin pales in comparison to the existential threat of climate change. And that's why they have a whole booth set up with Ukraine. They have a whole delegation that they've sent here representing the Ukraine here at this conference. I wouldn't be surprised if Zelensky phones in like he did the Emmys and gives a speech, uh, you know, urging, uh, you know, the, the, somehow some solution from the UN to climate change. You know, it, it really is really is a, quite a spectacle to see Ukraine here, especially since a lot of Europe's energy problems and even some of us and our agricultural problems with the ban on Russian uh, fertilizer comes from these sanctions against the Ukraine. And I've always said that the sanctions are hurting Europe and the United States. They're not really hurting Russia. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot. But Ukraine, again, they have no problem. They're sending out their delegation here. They seem to have their priorities, and climate change is front and center with Vladimir Putin. I, I, I'm just kind of gobsmacked uh, that they, they have the time and energy. I mean, they should be in, on a war footing. I mean, they have one of the biggest world superpower wanting to invade and take over their country. And it's, it's almost like they're, 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 every, every piece of Ukrainian uh, will and blood and sweat should be devoted 
to to fighting that war, not to some fake crisis that is actually. I mean, the reason. The reason Ukraine, the lights are going to go off is because Germany didn't frack, France didn't frack, the UK didn't frack, and they can't get gas and oil from the West, so they have to get it from the East. So Putin's going to win the war because he's going to cut cut the, the oil and gas off. The real reason Ukraine is here is A, for visibility uh, with these other delegations and the corporations and the countries. They're probably going to make an appeal for more funding to fight Vladimir Putin and they're going to make an appeal for probably climate finance and diversion fund and money to make them safe from climate and all sorts of things. Ultimately, it's about getting money from all the players that are here. And I think that's why they're here. But it, it is an absurd spectacle to think that Ukraine has time to send a delegation and set up a whole thing at a UN climate conference, you know, because they're fighting Vladimir Putin and climate change, the two greatest foes of the, of the world in 2022. Unbelievable. Uh, by the way, Mark, I thought you were, were you not a banned from these cop events or arrested? Or, <laughs> how did you sneak back in? One word. Uh, I am sorry. Actually, that's three words. I don't know why I said one word. One phrase. What happened was in 2016 at Marrakesh, I stood up there with a card right after Donald Trump's election. It was a week later. I stood up there with a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump outside of the media tent. And we'd been watching other environmental activists do it all week, little stunts and little press conferences. We did it. I brought a paper shredder, plugged it in, had the UN Paris Agreement. We were shredding it nonstop. And within three minutes of starting, we had a huge crowd of the media gather around. United Nations armed climate cops came in, took our Donald Trump thing, destroyed it, took our paper shredder, confiscated it, took all the documents of the UN Paris Agreement, and they escorted Craig Rucker and I out of the conference into the sand in Morocco. And we were left to wander in the desert for several football fields. And at which time armed United Nations climate police came up and then confiscated the papers out of my briefcase. And then we were banned for life from the United Nations conference. A year later, we made an appeal. If we signed a letter saying we were sorry, if we met with UN officials saying we'd been bad boys and would never do it again, they'd let us back in. And lo and behold, we're back in. And now, you know, we are uh, we are pledging to be good stewards of UN decorum and behavior. So. We're back. That's ridiculous. I mean, the NGOs do mini protests the whole time. Yes. And, uh, and they present fake bad prizes to countries and they, they, and they malign countries and they malign people and they demonize people. They do this all the time. And not only that, when Trump was president, when he would send his delegation here, even though we were out of the Paris Agreement, he would send an observing delegation. If they held an event, that climate activists in collusion with the UN would have it all timed out. And they'd even tell you ahead of time, there's going to be a planned protest and there's nothing the Trump delegation could have done about it. The U S delegation during the Trump years, they'd be in the middle of a speech and a UN with UN's full blessing, 30 people in the crowd would erupt in chanting songs, total disruption of the event and go on for five, eight minutes uh, before they left. And it was all with the approval of the United Nations. Imagine if climate skeptics or anyone who opposed the UN agenda tried to get the UN blessing to do something like that against any country. It would never happen in 10,000 years. I mean, I'm just looking even at Climate Depot, which is your website. I mean, you, you've a couple of articles there. New York Times, you know, in 25, in 1995, in 25 years, most of the beaches on the West Coast will be gone. <laughs> yes. Are we uh, 1985, 2005, 50? We're here. The, the cold, where are the, why aren't the beaches gone? 
This was according to climate experts at the time. And this goes back, you can go back to 1989. They said climate tipping points. The UN gave 10 years or entire nations would be under the ground. Uh, you had 1982, there was a climate tipping point. In my book, Green Fraud, Fellum, I go back to 1864 when Abraham Lincoln was president. And I quote an academic warning of climatic excess unless mankind changes his evil ways. So this has been along, you know, going back thousands of years, the idea of a in, doomsday is coming, the end is near. But that one in the New York Times is particularly funny because it's relatively modern. They have very specific on the beaches. And here's the bottom line. Sea level is not accelerating. Sea level has been rising for 10,000 plus years since the end of the last ice age. The New York Times is a stupid publication for even getting involved in such a silly article. But there's no retraction, no correction, nothing. They just go on and make the next doomsday prediction. Well, it's like Anne gave a speech recently and she says being in, uh, the title of the speech was being an environmentalist means you're never having, never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> exactly. They just keep coming out. It doesn't matter. The tipping point, Prince Charles, now King Charles, same thing. He had a 100-month tipping point. He actually counted it down, 88 months, 70 months. When he got to zero, he then issued a new climate tipping point of like 2047. And if he has the Queen's genetics, he may actually make it to 2047 if he have, with that longevity in his family. So he may actually have to extend yet another climate tipping point. Is there any good news, Mark? Any good news from, from Sharma? The good news is very good news. The good news here is that for the first time in her, since her climate activism began, teen climate protester sensation Greta Thunberg has boycotted the conference. She is not attending. She's called this whole conference a scam. She's called it greenwashing, lying, and cheating. And therefore, she is not coming. This is on the heels of last year, where she led counter-protests against the UN, calling it the blah, blah, blah summit. This is someone who actually believes in the e that capitalism is evil, that free markets are destructive, but, and she's so worried about the climate that she realizes that if you actually were fearing a climate emergency, the UN is a scam. The UN could never solve it. So I give Greta full kudos that she's actually wising up in the sense that she now sees what this whole conference is. That's very rare uh, for a climate activist in a very short time, in less than, what, three years, she's turned on this organization. Yeah, but but she hasn't turned on it, you know, that they're all, I mean, that they're all liars, or, you know. She's turned on because they're not extreme enough, isn't that right? Yeah, so she's turned on the idea that this is greenwashing event, that this is just about money and power and nothing to do with the climate. In other words, if you actually cared about the climate, the UN is a scam. That's what Greta's position. She actually does care about the climate. Her solution is exactly as you said. One of her advisors is George Mombiant, the UK environmentalist. He wants an end to all animal agriculture, meat eating. She wants an end to capitalism. She just went on a whole tirade about capitalism being the greatest destructive force of the climate. She's essentially turning herself into a Marxist socialist. I don't want to define her, but you can read her own comments. So don't know, but but she's correctly identified that this this conference has nothing to do with saving the climate, and that I give her full kudos for. You got you got to find where you agree, and yet I'm now at the position that we need to praise our enemy. The enemy of our enemy is our friend. I don't. I, I I'm not going there with you on that one. I, I'm sorry. I'm not buying that one. So you, actually, funny. Before you came online, there you you uh, sent me uh, some good, some other good news about Fran Dreschler, uh, sort of not connected to climate, yes. but. Um, 
I see Disney Plus have stopped their vaccine mandates. Um, and uh, Fran Dreschler, who was the nanny, has uh, has supported, has said thank God, and has described the vaccine mandates as 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 akin to fascism. So there is a little bit of um, realism creeping into the world these days. Well, it's more significant than that, Phelan. She's the president of the Screen Actors Guild. This is massive and huge to have Fran Dresser finally. I don't know if it's her moment of clarity. I don't know where she was a year ago, but I, I don't. And that's the other thing. We may disagree on this. I believe you embrace people when they join us. You don't yell at them and say, oh, where were you six months ago or a year ago? She's the president. She's in a position of authority. She's high. Uh, uh, she's what's the word? She's high, uh, uh, high profile. And she's taking this position. She's already being attacked by some of the mainstream media as wacky comments and extreme. But this is a huge development. And also we have on the heels of this, you have Susan Sarandon out there now filming all the homeless camps in L.A. with a sort of disdain and disgust. And she's now quoting also George Orwell. I think something could be happening with Susan Sarandon. Something's happening with Fran Dresser. They may be going the way of Naomi Wolf and Russell Brand and the Jimmy Doors. There's a, there's a sort of a red-pilling moment here, and Fran Drescher is huge, not because she was the nanny, but because she's the Screen Actors Guild president. I think when you live in these, uh, in these cities, these uh, cities like the West Coast cities like I do, you know, the, the reality of, of, of extreme leftism hits you in the face every day, sometimes literally, not metaphorically. And uh, I'm. You know, I, I, I was. I was in San, San Jose, California, 2019, speaking to the Silicon Valley Liberty Forum. Three years later, I go this year, 2022, and the difference was startling. In that time frame, defund the police, uh, getting rid of all the prosecution of anything you know under a thousand dollars, fine. The whole place had changed since 2019. Every hotel in that area now has gated community. You can't even get in the lobby without keys and without security. It's unbelievable. You go to the nicest restaurants in wealthy areas, signs up everywhere. Don't leave anything in your car. Lock your car. Crime is everywhere. Carjacking, thefts. You can't even have open hotels in just three years. Now, I've seen all that before. And it was in Johannesburg, South Africa. You had the area with all the you know, armed response and gated communities. The U.S. is fast becoming like the developing world in that regard. And I think a lot of these Hollywood celebrities, just they're not going to be able to – this is why the mayor of San Francisco at least rhetorically gave uh, support for re, you know, re, re-bringing back cities and, de- and funding the police. So we'll see. I mean, there, there's going to have to be a, some kind of uh, reckoning on the left. Well, I'm in Austin at the moment. I'm recording this in Austin. And Austin was going the way of Los Angeles and all the other liberal cities. And they had a referendum. They had a, a, an initiative to ban encampments, right? People were told, you can't solve the homeless problem. It's too complex. It's too, it's mental health. It's, it's, uh, it's all these different, we need billions of dollars and decades and you still won't solve it. And we just need more money and more concern. Austin said, we're not taking this. They had an initiative. It was passed overwhelmingly and basically the homeless problem is gone out of austin there are still the the, the diehard homeless the di- the people who who you know a few but it's like every other city every other town on the world there's a few people who are homeless uh, uh hopeless homeless and and the and the resources are being focused on them but the the encampments are gone from austin 
I mean, there's a few under a bridge here, a bridge there, but they are the, the vast encampments that we associate with leftist cities are gone. This can be solved, uh, and people people yeah. maybe know that. They might, and then and people, it, it has to be awakening. I mean, these were once great cities that they've just destroyed because of these of this of the of politics and of some weird ideology. You know, Michael Schellenberger really nails this stuff as well. Yeah, well, maybe let's see. Let's see the election is happening as we speak. Uh, the results will be very shortly. Uh, let's see if, if people really have listened and uh, are willing to take a chance and for a change. All right, and one other thing. One other thing, real quick. We. We went into the Cairo and we did our own version of the climate skeptic protest. We super glued our hands, glued, uh, and we got, uh, we did our own version of the just say no to oil protest. So I think you'll have some fun with that. And that's on, that'll be on Climate Depot. So Excellent. looking forward to that, looking forward. Well, Mark, thank you. And I'm, I'm going to end the podcast here as well. I want to thank everyone who's listening to the podcast. Um, don't forget, you can buy My Son Hunter, the movie that's going to reveal the truth, that reveals the truth about the Biden family corruption. Go to mysonhunter.com. You can buy it streaming. You can buy a DVD. Uh, it's important, especially as the Republicans seem to be taking over the House now and uh, they're going to have all these investigations. It's important to keep Republicans' feet to the fire or you'll end up like Boris Johnson and he'll be the Republicans will be off at the next climate conference. So keep their front feet to the fire. Keep them investigating Hunter Biden, mysonhunter.com. Thank you, Mark, uh, from, from Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Uh, and we'll talk to you again next week uh, on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm headed to the Red Sea for a swim now. Thanks a lot.